Ladies and gentlemen, today we have Kevin May, Editor-in-Chief of FocusWire. FocusWire is an online publication covering travel, tourism, and the hospitality industry. We had some technical difficulties with this episode, so you'll be joining the conversation about a third of the way through. Let's get to it. Are there any silver linings that have come through this? Um, let's talk about maybe technology that, you know, um, they say that necessity is the mother of all invention. Um, is there any interesting things that you've seen come across your desk as, uh, as you've been following along? Yeah, there are a number of things. I think, as I referenced in a previous answer about this kind of downtime, which has allowed people to uh, sit back and consider how they do things. I think there has been an emphasis on uh, streamlining. Some of that's been put upon brands just because they've had to let people go because, as I've mentioned before, there's this hard, long, hard look at costs. But I think that streamlining has given people a chance to think about the systems that they deploy, whether that's reservation, that's distribution, whether it's marketing system, it's whether it's workflow management, whether it's staff operations and things and i think there's been generally a positive look at that because yes there's the costs element to that they've had to look at their costs and they're saying okay well maybe this system that we've been using for the last 30 years is actually not very good we should perhaps consider something that's leaner perhaps a little bit more modern that's a little bit more flexible and that can only be a good thing if a, if an operation you know, or an accommodation provider, hospitality owner is looking at their efficiency structure or their, their structures around trying to be more efficient, then that can only be a good thing, not only for their operations, but ultimately the guest. So I think that's an overwhelmingly positive thing is that there has been a long, hard look at how they operate. Now, obviously, as you, you know, as we've been discussing, a lot of this is against the backdrop of you know, there not being many guests around. So they've been, you know, they've had to change the way they do their operations just because they have fewer people around. But, you know, overwhelmingly, I think any organization that has taken a look at costs and efficiencies and systems and stuff like that has approached things in the right way. So can you dig into that just a little bit more for people that maybe aren't as familiar with the inner workings of the hotel operations? What exact, when you say that um, they've had to reorganize systems or kind of rethink their operations, what does that actually um, look like from a, a you know, operational standpoint or some examples? Yeah, so um, obviously when hotels, for example, were able to reopen last summer, and I'm talking generally, I mean, some stayed open, some didn't, but there, you know, there was a wholesale kind of trying to reopen late last summer in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, so August, September, 2020. And a lot of hotels had to do so in a COVID friendly kind of way. So social distancing and stuff like that. And uh, the systems that they were deploying had to be tweaked to take that into account. So you could only have X number of people in your foyer at any one time. So they were streamlining the way that guests would arrive, for example. So you didn't suddenly have, if you're a, let's say you're a hotel that caters to um, people on a stopover and there are perhaps say 
eight full flights emerge, uh, arriving at the airport and then they're all normally would descend on the hotel over the course of two hours. You just couldn't do that. So the systems had to be changed to allow for that kind of COVID safe operations. That's a, that's a, it's a very, very good example of the way they had to be changed. Uh, another one, which is, uh, you know, who some people don't, even consider housekeeping important enough to mention but it's the core part of a hotel's operation so you know they were having to they're having to rethink about how you do housekeeping oh okay well let's not do it once a day because that we don't have the staff to do it so how do we manage that process behind the scenes so that we can do all the rooms at least every other day or all the occupied rooms every other day so that's the kind of the front end operational part of a hotel. The back end of that is making sure, and this is where it does get complicated and technology has really kind of come to the fore and shown why it can be used in a, in a great kind of um, way operationally. Some hotels were saying, well, let's not have every room on a corridor occupied. Let's have every other room or let's have every third room along a corridor occupied so there was less chance of people meeting in the corridor. So to actually put that into the system so that you're only selling a finite number of rooms and only a, a finite specific number of rooms from where they are located, that all needs to be either hard-coded if it's an old system or manipulating and using the systems that they have so that that is then fed out to online travel agencies who sell the rooms on behalf of hotels a lot of a lot of rooms on behalf of hotels so that's you know another thing that was behind the scenes that had to be done because you needed to operate in a covid friendly kind of way and i think the kind of efficiencies and the way that people were using that and the way that there was collaboration between departments so between the distribution department the marketing department the revenue management department the front-end operations department they perhaps some were saying have collaborated in ways that they never were before um, it's a terrible cliche that us in the media use all the time but it's you know uh, this hotel is operating in silos because you have all these different departments and you know we interviewed um, um, we interviewed the, the the general manager of a hotel uh, probably middle of last year and he was saying because they'd had to reduce the number of people in each of those departments they just merged the departments and they were collaborating and sharing information and things that they'd never ever thought of doing before you know it's a shame it took a global pandemic for them to do so but that's you know that's the reality of how they were operating and that's actually a good thing in the long run that these departments that had operated often fairly individually because they had their own goals and KPIs were actually realizing, yeah, okay, you know, if we work together is actually something that we can do to help both ourselves from a, a strategy perspective, but hopefully creates the continues to create a good experience for the guest. Yeah. Yeah. That is interesting when, you know, so systems get set up in a certain way because of the the current context of the you know the market and though that system might have been 100 years ago and that's when it made sense for these people to operate in silos but now um, people forgot the why and now they're they're questioning um you know you, you've mentioned a little bit about working with um, different travel agencies Expedia and um, yeah, hosting the conference and I'm, I'm curious from <clears throat> Any 
sentiments from people um, in, in adjacent kind of um, business businesses to you being part of travel. Um, common uh, concerns. I mean, what 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 do they think? Is is business travel because that's a pretty big part of the travel. Now that we've gone digital, are they concerned that it's never coming back? Do you think travel is is um, really kind of like morphing into something different? Where, um, yeah, any thoughts on that? Yeah, so business travel, um, perhaps arguably the hardest hit part of the travel industry. Perhaps you know, tours and activities and attractions and experiences would probably argue that they've been equally badly hit. But business travel has really taken a a beating just because people started working from home. And even once the work from home protocols were relaxed, you know, there are, there are com- some very, very large tech companies who still have a work from home protocol in place and no business travel. So, you know, Facebook had that right up until Christmas. It may well have continued. I don't know. Um, But, you know, which means that there are naturally going to be far fewer people on the road. Now, anyone who says that business travel is dead is crazy because it's never going to be dead. But anyone I I certainly think still who thinks business travel is going to bounce back to the levels it was in 2019 it's probably also a bit crazy because, you know, workforces uh, are slightly smaller than they were in 2019, even though companies have started building back. Um, but we have got used to this idea that we can do gazillions of meetings every single day talking to people on Zoom. And arguably, once the procurement manager and the uh, and the travel budget manager in a large organisation realises how many deals were still done, without the need to fly people first class from London to New York just to shake hands and have a nice dinner on Fifth Avenue, you know, they probably think, well, we don't need to do that trip. So I think, you know, it's going to contract. If it comes back, it will come back in phases. So this year, 2022, we will certainly see some return to relative normality in business travel. 2023 is when, if it does happen, it's going to come back in a very strong way. And it will only be by 2024, in my estimation. If it does come back to 2019 levels, it won't be until 2024. Just because the economy, the economies in different countries and regions need to bounce back to where they were. That is a natural trigger for people to travel more for business and things like that. But if it comes back, it won't be until 2024. I think it will come back to a level that's sustainable for business travel agencies, airlines to kind of rethink about the way they handle business customers, the hotels, you know, the five-star hotels that cater very much for business travelers. They are having to rethink about what they do in the interim to bring in more leisure travelers while they still have this kind of uh, uh, lack of numbers from business travelers. So it's, you know, but as I said, as I said, right at the beginning, anyone who tries to predict these kind of things is onto a bit of a fool's errand because they may be shown up to be wholly incorrect. You know, we've seen how quickly things have changed in a matter of weeks over the last uh, two years. So things could change again very rapidly. Of the people of the business travelers that are still traveling, what type of traveler or what type of business is being done that is still worthwhile traveling that shouldn't be done over Zoom? Um, 
<laughs> yeah, it's a good question. And not least because I don't know, I don't really know the answer to it. I haven't seen, you know, one of our sister brands is business travel news. And I don't think they, and we've certainly not seen at Focuswire any real solid evidence as to what business is being done. I can have a guess, and that would be when a deal is being signed that needs some kind of, um, there's kind of legal discussions that need to be had that can't be done over Zoom, for example. They need to be done face-to-face. -face. Or there are demonstrations that need to be done between two organizations that are going to collaborate on something, and it's just not practical to do that kind of demonstration or, you know, a six-hour sales meeting that is much more um, efficient and um, comes up with more, you know, better strategies when it's just done face to face. So I imagine there's some of that that's being done, um, but I don't know, you know, I don't know at, at scale what is the probably the answer to that. So yeah, at FocusWire, um, I am a little curious about um, just the business itself and how, um, is there any frameworks or mental models that you use to, deci to, to decipher important news, news worth reporting, um, publicity stunts, just uh, how do you how do you filter, I guess, and organize? Well, I suppose when you've been doing it for 30 years, you, you can tell a good story from a bad story. I mean, this is just kind of the world of news gathering and, and stuff like that. But as it relates to, you know, to bring us into what we're talking about now, um, I think our filter to use the word has been we would certainly show some interest in an organization that for example has been doing something interesting with the application of technology to help them recover during this current phase i think that's um it's of interest to us and i think that's of interest to the wider to our wider audience of you know hotels airlines otas tour providers things like that because even though you know, it's good old capitalism, everyone competes with each other. There is this sense that people are quite happy to share knowledge because it is for the greater good, for fear of sounding a bit kind of whimsical again. You know, people want the industry to bounce back. They want people to be traveling again. And if there are ways of sharing knowledge that allow companies to kind of borrow ideas from each other, just because it's allowed, it's allowed them to bring an entire hotel worth of guests back together back again in a covid friendly tech led kind of way then i think that's a good that's a good way for us to filter interesting stories from ones which are just i think as you said kind of gimmicks or you know things like that it's uh, there is a i my kind of sense is that there's been a slightly more and i think this is reflective of what we've been going through there's a slightly more seriousness of tone to the stuff that's been produced over the last year or so, just because everyone's been in the same situation. It's not just one company that's been hit by performing badly. It's a completely different type of crisis. It's not like a financial crisis where, you know, you we've been, we were beholden to the world of bankers and things like that. This is a, this is a, a global health crisis and it's affected everybody so i think in the spirit of let's get this industry back to some degree of normality people have been happy to share what some of the strategies that they've been doing 
who they spoke to, who they collaborated with, some of the big ideas that they've got, whether it's around sustainability, as we mentioned earlier, whether it's around coming up with ideas for partnerships, which they never would have considered two years ago, just because it, they just didn't have the time to think in that slightly more lateral way. What, the, what kind the, of partnerships? Well, I think what we're seeing is a lot more of, um, I wouldn't say competitors working together, but just forming partnerships that ultimately help the customer, the traveler. So for example, you know, we're seeing hotels that have, you know, and some of this, interestingly, you know, some of this has been driven by the pandemic. So um, before hotels, I know speak as broadly as I can, didn't really like you bringing in or having food delivered to your room because they wanted you to buy the food in the hotel or from the overpriced kiosk in the foyer and things like that. But because either their kitchens were closed or they were short of staff or they weren't doing in-room deliveries because they didn't have the right PPE or whatever, whatever protocol was required in a particular city, state, region, country, whatever, they were allowing pa the passengers, they were allowing guests to phone out to say like an Uber Eats or use an Uber Eats to phone out to different places. And then over time they were collaborating with restaurants and food delivery places to let people bring food into a hotel. I mean, and that's just something that never would have even been considered two years ago because there's a lot of protectionism in hotels. They want to, to keep you in their own kind of economic ecosystem and buy their own stuff. So that's a really good example of just, thinking outside the box and saying, okay, well, you know, this is what we want. We know the customers and our guests want this, you know, let's just kind of get over ourselves for once and allow them to do it. And it might actually be in the long term something that we consider. Not everybody wants to order from the kitchen room service or wants to eat in the hotel. Sometimes they just want a dirty pizza on their balcony. Why don't we just let them do that? You know, maybe we'll charge a commission to the restaurant that delivers it. But do you know what I mean? It's just an interesting and, you know, I think a very forward looking kind of way of just thinking that let's not treat guests the way that we've always treated them because our guests have changed. We've changed. The market's changed. And now we kind of understand a little bit about what we all want from an experience in a hotel, for example. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And it's just coming to mind. I really like. Like what you are, Focus Wire, you're like an idea aggregator. And so this one, if, if all it takes is one great idea for a one forward thinking hotel exec to partner with an Uber Eats, and then you can amplify that. And that's, that's real change that if other hotel execs or whoever log on to Focus Wire and they see this, it's, uh, it, 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 is that kind of how it works? Is that you? Well, I, 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 uh, for, for fear of being British and a little bit pessimistic, I think you um, you talk us up a little bit about our ability. I mean, our our um, you know our role is you know we're just journalists and we write about the news and we write about yeah. trends and, and issues and things like that. And we have a very very big readership. And if if we are the cipher or the the loudspeaker that is deployed by companies to uh, tell the rest of the industry about some cool or interesting or important things that they've been doing then we're happy to write about it. And if other organizations read it and act on it, then 
perhaps that's a good job by us but you know we don't we, we're not the ones to decide on our own reputation it should be up to other people right right yeah i realize yeah you gotta yeah, yeah you gotta stay humble that's a tough uh, comment to respond to but from an outsider that's how that's how i see it um it, 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 with that being said, a lot of great ideas for companies or just um, for business in general can come from different industries. And so are there anything is there anything stepping outside of the travel and hotel um, industry yeah. right now that you focus in that you've seen work here that you think, oh, if, you know, healthcare or, you know, something else, um, they could take this idea and implement it. And uh, like, I guess. Going to like, you know, the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule of um, of all the stuff that you've seen, what's like the 20% best ideas that could translate to other um, business owners or anybody else listening that they should maybe take a look? Yeah, well, I'll give, you, I'll, I'll give you two examples that are actually happening now, if I can. And, you know, some people would laugh in a way because – they're not new ideas, but to the travel industry, they kind of are. And the first one is this idea of um, buy now, pay later, which has been in many, many industries for a long time. So, for example, if you wanted to buy a washing machine for your kitchen, you would often pay in installments over 12 months. You'd get the washing machine fitted in your kitchen, but you wouldn't pay for it for another year. And it was a way of staggering your payments. Now, in the travel industry in Europe, that's happened for a long time. But in the US, we're seeing that become a consumer trend because um, there are companies such as uh, Fly Now, Pay Later. There's another company called Affirm. There's another company called Uplift. And they've come up with this model. So they work with an airline or a hotel and they allow people to buy the product or make the reservation now and then pay over time. And large parts of the industry are going, wow, that's amazing. Why didn't we think of this years ago? And we say, well, you know, it's been, it's been prevalent in lots of other industries for a long time. But, you know, now the industry has kind of got its head around the idea that this is actually quite a good thing. So that's one that started happening. And another one is subscriptions. Now, again, a subscription to something is not new. So, for example... Danny, maybe you have a Netflix subscription. Maybe you have an Amazon Prime subscription. It allows you to do X, Y, and Z on those different kinds of platforms. Now, all of a sudden, over the last year and a half, companies, TripAdvisor is a great example, eDreams, which is a very large online travel agency here in Spain, in Europe, have come up with their own subscription models. So you pay X amount a month or X amount a year, and you can get certain types of discounts on a hotel stay or a flight or a package trip or a tour as a result of being a member you're a subscriber to that service now the big question mark with subscriptions is you know it's not a regular purchase you probably don't buy a holiday or a trip as often as you buy something on amazon prime if you did then good for you. That's great that you can travel that often. So it's not a frequent purchase. And that's where that's where the kind of question marks from analysts and us as journalists are a little bit about why will subscriptions really work 
for a hotel or for a travel business or an airline because you know you might only travel once or twice a year so where is the value actually for the customer but those back to your original question those are two really good examples of trends and business models and things like that that have existed in other industries and the travel industry has gone hmm let's give that a go well kevin as we uh, wrap up here this uh this eventful interview of uh, technical difficulties and such but um appreciate your time and uh what um what haven't i asked what 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 should i um what would you like to touch on just kind of closing thoughts as you um you know wrap things up here um as far as speaking to hotel execs or you know property managers across uh, the u.s for the most part um what would you like to leave them with any any closing thoughts okay so some closing thoughts without trying to be too grand and above above my lowly position in this industry and i think it's too i i think it would be terrific if the lessons that the industry has learned over the last 22 months almost two years that lots of organizations have started talking about are not just things that they put in a drawer and they'll open up next time there's another pandemic. So we've thought about sustainability. We've thought about how to treat our workforces better, perhaps. We've thought about how to be more efficient. We've thought about the guest experience a lot. And we've put in all these excellent things and we're going to put it back in that drawer and close the drawer, unlock it and throw away the key until the next pandemic or until the next moment in time where we've got a bit of a chance to strategize, to use a terrible word. It would be wonderful if every organization doesn't file those things away in a cupboard and keeps them on their agenda or agendas in the open drawer and looks at them all the time. Because I think what the last couple of years have shown us is that travel is a luxury and I don't mean that as in luxury travel but the ability for us as a species to visit other places connect with other people explore other destinations is not a right it's a luxury that we have given ourselves as people but it's a good thing it's a positive thing to be able to do that to continue to be able to do that both in a sustainable way but in a way that people enjoy that is efficient that looks after the environment that does all the other things that should be really important, like being uh, diverse and inclusive to those that aren't naturally part of the travel industry. That's a whole pod different podcast conversation. But if we can keep those things as part of a company's or a co an organization or a company's strategy for a, a long time, rather than just, oh yeah, that was our 2020, 2021 period when we came up with all those great ideas. That would be a, you know, a lasting legacy that I think would be a positive one from the travel industry to, to look at going forward is to kind of keep hold of some of those ways that we thought about things and keep them there for the years ahead. Kevin, um, thank you for coming on. Is there anywhere that you want to send uh, the listeners? Any asks? Any um, anywhere we can follow along? Uh, no, if uh, if anyone is. Uh, even remotely interested in what we've been discussing over the last 40 minutes or so, I encourage them to visit focuswire.com for news and go to focusright.com and learn about the events that we run during the year and the research that we do for the travel, tourism and hospitality industry. Thank you.
thank you for allowing me the small plug at the end there it's greatly appreciated absolutely thank you for coming on